Okay, how you doing, everybody? We're live. We're interactive. This is the John Riley Project, and I always tell you it's political season. And the greatest thing about political season is we get to meet the candidates. We have these great long-form sit-down conversations, and today I'm just really honored to have a candidate for Poway Unified School Board, and this gentleman's name is Patrick Batten. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, John. All right. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. this uh, great opportunity to sit here and talk about some important issues. So thank you for the, for the chance. Cool. All right. So we're going to, we're going to get into a lot of topics today about Poway Unified School District. We'll get into maybe some, some of the national issues that we hear about um, in the news or on social media about education. So we'll kind of hopscotch around, you know, and kind of cover some of those topics. Sounds good. Okay. So I just want to tell the audience, if you're watching online right now in the live stream, you can participate. And what that means is, is that if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, you can enter, uh, you could type in a question or a comment that you have for Patrick and, um, and, and we'll entertain those as we go through this podcast. So you can participate. So we invite you to just jump in and share your comments and questions. Okay. So, um, let's get started a little bit about the reason you're running for Poway Unified School Board. What, what prompted you to get into this race? Well, the fact that I've got four children, um, is what's prompted me to get into this race. That That's the mm-hmm. first and foremost. I got two children that have already graduated uh, that are attending college right now. Uh, they went from start to finish throughout Poway Unified School District. They received an incredible education. And, you know, I'm very proud of what they've accomplished and what they're going to accomplish in their future. I still have two children that are in the district, uh, one that is at Rancho Bernardo High School and one that is at Bernardo Heights Middle School. And I'm concerned about their education. I want to make sure that Poway Unified School District continues to be an incredible uh, uh, school district and that we continue to provide wonderful education for our children. Now, additionally, you know, this, this district's meant a lot to our family. My mother-in-law taught for 35 years in the school district. My brother-in-law and my wife both graduated from start to finish throughout the school district. Mm-hmm. And like many, that's why they moved to this district. In fact, that's why we moved back to this district so we could raise our children here. So it's important, I think, to uh, my family, but everybody's family uh, that lives within the Poway Unified School District. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's... That's why my that's why we moved here. Yeah. My wife and I moved to Poway back in '96. You know, right after we got married, we bought a house. Okay, we're going to set up some roots here, and 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 we came here because of the schools, because yeah. uh, it's such an important uh, you know part of our family life. But but more importantly, this is just a great place to raise a family, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's so much going on in education and and a lot going on here locally. But before we get to that, I was just hoping you can just share with the audience your backstory, you know, a little bit about the things in in your life, where you grew up and, and, and your career and how you got from the beginning to where we are today. It's uh, it's probably a little bit different of a story than what most people expect. Um, you know, most people, I think, believe that I was uh, born and raised here in Rancho Bernardo, had a wonderful upper middle class upbringing. Um, nothing could probably be further from the truth. Um, I worked hard to get to where I am, and I'm proud of that. My father left when I was about three, and so it was my mother and I that, uh, you know, made it through the struggle. But from that time between three and 17, when I went to San Diego State University, we moved about 25 times. Wow. Uh, was not in the military. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was a financial situation that my mother was not good at, uh, 
at the, her finances. Yeah. You know, we, we lived on uh, welfare many mm-hmm. years when she didn't have a job. Uh, we lived in government housing. Um, so we moved a lot. And I, I can still remember um, growing up and knowing that we had to be out of the house the next day and having no place to go. So we packed up everything we had, put it into a U-Haul truck. The next day, we would put it into a storage unit, find a motel that we could stay, maybe stay with some friends, maybe stay with my my sister and brother-in-law. Uh, but that was kind of my upbringing. I focused, though, to on my education. Um, I was lucky enough to get into San Diego State. And from there, I got an education. Uh, and, and that has changed my life. So that's my upbringing as a, as a kid. Um, Quite different, I think, than, than what most people think of of how I was raised. You know, that, that's an interesting background. It kind of gives you a unique perspective, right? Because there, you look at our community, Rancho Bernardo, Poway, like you say, it's middle class, upper middle class. But there are a lot of families that are struggling. I mean, with yeah. the housing crisis that we have. You, you hear stories about families that are couch surfing, um, families that are dependent on a lot of government programs, not only for housing, but for food and the like. So that, that's an interesting angle. Um, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. It, it is. And, and, you know, most people don't know that about me because it's, it's not something that's easy to talk about. Certainly not something that comes out in uh, polite conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but it does give me a different background and perspective for a lot of things that uh, people are, are suffering from. Mm-hmm. You know, I have never lived on the streets, but I certainly was homeless uh, for, for periods of time. Um, you know, it, it, it's a struggle. And the one thing about it is that, unfortunately, it, it can become generational. And when you we see that now in the data with children that, uh, you know, live on the streets and are homeless, they are far more likely to continue that trend. And here in Poway Unified School District, we're pretty blessed that those numbers are, are very low. Um, and we work very hard in the school district. I know that the uh, the uh, administrative team uh, keeps an eye on that, and we have to continue uh, mm-hmm. to do that. So once you uh, you were an Aztec, right? So yep. you're at San Diego State University. So tell me a little bit about your college experience. So at San Diego State, I decided to uh, uh, study political science. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a funny story, and this is the God's honest truth as to why I did it. <laughs> I had an eighth grade teacher. Uh, I'm going to date myself for some people, but he kept, would come in every day with the uh, joke of the day, and he was our civics teacher. <laughs> and his joke back then was, you know, America is the greatest country in the world. When you grow up, you can be president of the United States. And if you don't grow up, you can become vice president, <laughs> obviously referring to Dan Quayle at that time. Yeah, right. But that stuck with me. <laughs> it, it stuck with me that somebody as a kid like myself going through that um, you know, upbringing, I could make a difference in my community. So I decided to become a political science major, uh, and I wanted to get involved in, in local government. I, I originally planned to, to get a law degree, uh, but I was hired immediately to work on a campaign right after college. And so I started working in, in local politics and running campaigns, worked up in the state legislature as a legislative director, worked for the county of San Diego as a, a policy advisor. And then September 11th took place. And that changed my perspective on everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided then I was running a campaign. Really became when I realized that this war was going to last longer than the uh, Desert Storm War. Mm-hmm. So I made the commitment to join, and I was running a campaign, and that campaign ended on November 4th. And on November 8th, I had my feet on the yellow footprints at MCRD San Diego. Wow. And spent uh, 10 years on active duty. I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, 
and came back uh, and decided, you know, it was time to get out. We weren't deploying anymore. Uh, I left, joined the reserves, and then pretty much immediately deployed back over to the Middle East. Right. And uh, I had a team that was in Iraq, a team in Jordan, and a team in Kuwait. And I led that uh, that team over there. And uh, that was about 2017 when my final deployment took place. Wow. So you were... It was in the Marines, correct? Marine Corps, yep. So you were from 2001 to 2017? No, it was 2004, because it took me a little while to get in. Okay. Um, so 2004 uh, to 2000, late 14, that I got off of active duty. Mm-hmm. And then I've been in the reserve since then. Okay. Uh, so my last deployment was 2017. Um, and, you know, that's about 17 years now or so. Yeah, it's been a that's, while. A, that's a long time. Yeah, um, and I think we've all heard those stories about how you know the, the reserves were always kind of cycling and recycling, and uh, it was just a challenge, you know, to keep the military forces going. Yeah, um, and, you know, with all the turmoil over there. Yeah, and it was it was interesting when I got over to the reserves. You know, after ten years on active duty, I show up to the reserves. I have no idea what they're talking about. It's a brand new set of acronyms that I don't know <laughs> what they mean. You know, I remember one day I got a call from uh, the first sergeant, uh, actually the staff sergeant. He gives me a call and he's like, "You know, sir, you're UA unauthorized absence." Mm-hmm. You know, in the Marine Corps, that's pretty serious. And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You're supposed to be here today. You were supposed to make up a drill." And I'm like, "I." <laughs> know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He's like, sir, we're going to have to, uh, you know, take care of this. And, you know, we're going to have to do some paperwork on you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've had a sterling career. I've never. And I'm like, oh, okay, staff sergeant, hang up the phone, call up my, uh, my CEO. And he's like, oh, no, don't, don't worry about it, Pat. You know, somebody just wrote you down and put their, we'll take care of it. You're fine. I had no idea what we're talking about uh, in this entire process. But, you know, it was, it was a change. But the tempo in the reserves actually was higher at that point in time than the tempo on active duty because the active duty side was trying to get back into their normal routine of handling the uh, the muse and handling their uh, different uh, um, training cycles and giving then a lot of the responsibilities back over to the reserves. So our tempo was still pretty high. Um, and at that time for me, I, I enjoyed that, that uh, training tempo. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, you talk about, you know, in your youth, uh, you know, moving, you said 25 times yeah. um, in, in in what, about 14 years. Yeah. And then you go you go to San Diego State, political science degree, 9-11 happens. Now you're in the military. Um, tell me a little bit about when you were in the Marines. What were some of the maybe one or two things that you you learned that really kind of shaped your values? You know, growing up um, in a very unstable environment, um, I did not have the discipline that I I should have. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're constantly moving around and, and you're going to different schools, being pulled out of a school at one point in time, being put into another school in the middle of the year, um, Marine Corps definitely taught me discipline. You know, there is, there is no doubt about that. Uh, I think my mother taught me uh, hard work ethic, mm-hmm. which helped me in the Marine Corps. But it was certainly, you know, discipline. Um, but I'm, I'll tell you my, my – <laughs> situation was a little bit unique. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at MCRD San Diego, and they called me the grand old man of MCRD uh, <laughs> because I was 27 years old as a recruit. Oh, wow. You know, I, I left a career <laughs> to, to enlist in the Marine Corps. So I remember one day, um, 
you have to shave by the numbers. You know, 17, 18-year-old kids, some of them don't even have peach fuzz on their face yet. Some of them have full beards. Mm -hmm. But you're waking up every morning and the drill instructor is yelling at you on how you're going to shave. You know, and they're screaming, you're shaving on the right side of your face, you know, shaving down and, you know, and then shaving up on the left side of your face. And then, you know, they scream, batten, the left side of your face. And I'm like, you know, I've been shaving. In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I've been shaving since you were probably 12 years old. You're not going to teach me how to shave at this point right. in my life. So it was definitely a little bit of a different experience. But the Marine Corps ca- taught me the, the discipline. It taught me the value of making sure that no matter what you do, you complete that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, mission accomplishment is what we talk about, and that's our primary mission in the Marine Corps. So that focus of, of being singular focused on accomplishing the mission, no matter what that task is, uh, as well as, as the camaraderie and making sure that you're taking care of the Marines that are around you. That was a big difference, too, because growing up and, and I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, I learned how to make friends, but you didn't keep friends. In the Marine Corps, it definitely taught you the value of the man to your left and right. Mm-hmm. So you learned how to complete a mission. So you're on another mission right now. Absolutely. Running for school board, Poway Unified Area C. So you know, maybe you could tell the audience a little bit about where is Area C. So Area C comprises uh, most of Rancho Bernardo, um, the west side of the 15, uh, a little portion of the 4S, uh, which kind of takes in a little bit uh, uh, in between Rancho Bernardo and then Penasquitos, and then it takes in uh, a portion of Penasquitos uh, to about the 56, um, mm-hmm. is is generally the area that it is uh, encompasses. Okay. So w- the interesting thing about your race that I, I was really surprised is that the incumbent, T.J. Zane, who had been in office since 2014, Yep decided not to run again. And I was very surprised by that. So that creates a, an opportunity for you where there's not an incumbent to go up against. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, I mean, I assume you know TJ or met TJ. I know TJ very well. So are there some things that he's taught you, having served on school board for the last eight years, that you think can be very helpful in your campaign? And if you're fortunate to win, helpful if you serve on the board? Absolutely. You know, um, going back to TJ making the decision not to run, you know, I had heard about those rumors that TJ wasn't going to run. And (laughs) and I kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, And as I was talking to him, we actually there's this thing in San Diego that's called the Burger Brigade. We kind of get together once a month and we try different uh, burger places. And uh, it's an opportunity for some political folks to kind of meet. And I see TJ and I'm like, okay, TJ. Are you running or you're not? He's like, oh, no, I'm not running. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, then who's running for your seat? He's like, I don't know. You. You're going to run. I'm like, <laughs> And that kind of started, you know, that put yeah. the, the, the thought in my head. Like, well, we need somebody that has the understanding of what's important about this district mm-hmm. and what makes it special. So mm-hmm. I, I did have some conversations with TJ. He has endorsed my candidacy, uh, and I appreciate him for, for his support. And he has talked to me about uh, the race, talked to me about some of the intricacies of uh, the city council or the, uh, uh, the Poway Unified School District and the Board of Trustees. You know, one of the things that that um, you know we've had a, a great opportunity to talk about is is how to work with the staff, their roles and interaction with them, uh, a little bit about the maintenance facility um, priorities and 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 how we're going to accomplish those, what the the Poway Unified School District has in mind, as well as then some of the uh, the history of the Poway Unified School District and some of the issues that he went through um, and how he became successful on the board. 
Okay. Well, I mean, that, I think that's great. I mean, you, that you know him and, and he can offer some guidance for you now. That's, it's got to be very helpful uh, because some school board candidates, they just jump in and, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of going blind, you know, to a degree. So good on you. Um, let's, uh, you know, we got a couple of questions here from the audience. Oh, you want to take a few? Absolutely. Okay. So let's uh, kind of roll over here and, and um, I've got a number of them here. So this is... Uh, yeah, here from from Yuri Bolin. You, you know, Yuri is uh, one of the mayoral candidates in Poway. Yes, and he says, "Thank you uh, for your service, sir. I really enjoyed your comments last Tuesday at the candidate forum." Well, thank you, Yuri. I appreciate that. And uh, this one's from Pete Neal. What is your position regarding PUSD library selection and parental input? You know, Peter, that is a great question, and certainly one that is a, a hot topic right now. Uh, as some know, this. Uh, past board meeting, the uh, Poway Unified School District made the decision to remove two uh, books from their library that were placed in there um, uh, as they were not age appropriate and the subject matter um, uh, was not a, you know allowed. You know, my stance on it is that I think that the process that they went through is the right way to handle this. There's an advisory board that is set up. The parents brought forward the concerns. The advisory board looked at it. They made their recommendation and went to the Poway Unified School District uh, Board of Trustees. They made the decision to remove those two uh, books uh, after a public uh, hearing. You know, one of the things that I say to people in this is my children every year, um, when they go to school, they receive a permission slip that I have to sign to let my children Watch any movie that is PG or higher. Mm -hmm. But there are some of these books in our library that are far worse than what will be read in a um, or what will be seen in a PG movie. Yet there's no permission slip required for my children to check those out of the library. I do think that is a concern. Um, I support the, the process that, that took place, and I think that we have to be cognizant of the age of these children. You know, we... I remember when my children were in first grade and they wanted to read Harry Potter and their Lexile scores were high enough that they could read Harry Potter. But Harry Potter wasn't age appropriate. So the librarian and the school teachers basically said, you know, kiddos, maybe in a couple of years you can read this. But right now, this isn't where you should mm -hmm. be reading. That same thing should be held for every book. I don't care what the content of it, if it is about, uh, you know, sexual activities or if it is about certain, you know, journeys that people go through in their life. There is a level of age appropriateness that we have to take into consideration. And just because of your political slant or, you know, on a conservative or liberal side, it, it may not be right, you know, and. Fourth graders probably don't need to be reading Ayn Rand, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to understand it. Uh, it's going to confuse them, and there's better books for them to read. It's no different uh, on sexually active you know, books. When your child hasn't even gone through puberty, they will have questions. Those questions should be answered by parents and people that are close to them. Uh, I just think that we need to be very careful with what we allow our children to read, and parental guidance is the number one issue here. So uh, the two books that were removed, were they related to, you know, sexual issues or yes. gender issues? Gender issues and sexual issues. Okay. Yeah. That, that is exactly what those then books Then how did they get into the library in the first place? Uh, during the hearing, the librarian spoke exactly to that issue, and she spoke about the fact that um, she felt that these were books that were high on the recommended reading list. Um, they were uh, – so she, you know – 
took those and, and put them in there and she felt that they were appropriate uh, for children. Um, unfortunately, you know, that process, while everything else goes through parents and goes through uh, a review process, this didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. This is probably something that that we might want to consider at the Poway Unified School District. And I would be happy to you know, work with the, uh, the administration as well as the parents to decide a more appropriate way of selecting these books mm-hmm. so we don't go through this again. Okay. Okay. Like, um, thanks for you know sharing that and kind of he- hearing you out on it. I mean, it's it's one of the more controversial topics in the national media yeah. as far as you know. Oh my God, it's book banning, or oh my God, it's parental consent. You know. So, um, you know, I'm thank you for sharing your perspective on it. Um, so. Again, we're happy to take more questions from the audience. If you got some that you want to share with Pat Batten, by all means, type them in on Facebook and on YouTube. But let's um, let's talk a little bit about your campaign platform. And you talk about being brilliant at the basics. So walk us through what that means. So first, I have to give credit where credit is due. I stole this from uh, General Mattis. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's the, he was he's the Mad Dog, right? The Mad Dog Mattis, yeah. the uh, monk of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of different uh, wonderful names that we gave him. Um, but you know, he he gave us what we call the five three five. Those were kind of our our you know flat ass rules. Mm-hmm. Excuse the language, but that <laughs> is what we called him in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and that's what I grew up on in the Marine Corps. And one of them was was. Being focusing on being brilliant at the basics, blocking and tackling for our perspective in in the Marine Corps. And it's the same thing. It's the foundation of of learning in an education. So from my perspective here, being brilliant at the basics means making sure that our children understand reading, writing, and arithmetic. In Poway Unified School District, we are blessed with incredibly high scores uh, from our children. I think that when those scores come out and are released, we're going to see that they dip during COVID. So we've got to get back to that. That's why I'm kind of looking at, at being brilliant at the basics once again, that we make sure that that is our primary focus. You know, our, our school district is also blessed by the fact that we have uh, in Rancho Bernardo and in Poway, we've got these industrial parks that uh, provide some very high paying jobs, uh, very technical jobs. And that has also brought in, uh, you know, different community members from around the world. It has provided a more diverse uh, community that we have over the past probably two decades. But it also means that our children have to compete. And one of the things that we've seen, uh, you know, uh, you know, my neighbor, um, uh, I, the kids that they grew up, you know, they were from India and their children, man, they were were competitive. And I was impressed with how much of an emphasis that that family put on on learning. And I, you know, I'm a a typical American father. I put an awful lot of emphasis on teamwork, on competing, on sports. Uh, Their family did not. Um, And their family did great. My children are also in college. But it's a different perspective that I think makes our children's education richer. Um, But we've got to understand that that for them to compete in this ever-increasing global economy, they have to understand the basics. And, And that's the building blocks for everything we do here. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, like the three R's, right? Going way back in time, that was what they always talked about. And on one level, you're right. The Poway Unified has had great teachers, great history, test scores. It doesn't surprise me they dipped during COVID, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. So it's okay. Uh, So when you're talking about those basics, I mean, that kind of leads us down the path of like STEM, right? And, and, having those skills being taught because for 
Now, there are students that are college track students and there are students that are not. Yes. So in the world of uh, those that are on track for college, do you feel that Poway Unified's curriculum is meeting their needs? I think that we're doing better than most. I think that we can do better. Um, we live in, in San Diego County that has an incredible opportunity to partner uh, with some of our biocom uh, companies that are here and life science companies, giving our children an opportunity uh, to do more. You know, I, I, I've had a chance to, to be on some different, um, you know, Zoom meetings. One of the benefits of, of COVID is that you get to be involved in a lot more uh, opportunities. And I was listening to uh, a chance for children in high school, as well as college in the area and others uh, to compete globally in kind of a, a cyber attack um, program and, and competition. And, and those are things that we can continue to bring into our schools and find more opportunities because those are different challenges that, that children can uh, be engaged in and then it piques their interest. Uh, so I think that's one of the areas that we can improve on is providing them with a little bit more opportunities there by partnering with with some of our uh, surrounding companies. Yeah, I mean, that's that's often been something that's been discussed is finding ways to almost have either internships or 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 the businesses kind of actively participating in yeah. education. And it's interesting talking about competitive environment with you know, security issues. I mean, that, that could be kind of fun, Absolutely. you know, for, yeah. for a lot of computer science students. Um, but to your other point, you talked a little bit about how in our, in our business park, you know, not every job requires a college degree. No. And on your website, you talk about vocational education. So tell me a little bit about why that's important to you. You know, as you mentioned, our school district does an incredible job preparing our children for college, you know, and, and it varies each year as to how many are going to go off to college. But you know, we're in the 90 percentile that go to college almost every year. Mm -hmm. But that means that there's about, you know, 10 plus, you know, percentage of our students that don't. And they're looking for different opportunities and we can't leave them behind. Um, I, luckily, I've been endorsed uh, by the uh, Carpenters Union. Um, and I, I appreciate that endorsement. And, and one of the things that I told them is, you know, in your endorsement, what I'm asking for is less of an endorsement, but a opportunity that once elected to this position, we have an open communication because I would like to be able to have carpenters and some of the other trades come in and help provide opportunities to increase that vocational education. And I think that uh, my background and experience in the community, uh, as well as politics and, and communications, will give us that opportunity to provide that. And they were happy for that. I know that they're eager for it. I know that uh, I've also been endorsed by you know, Associated General Contractors, um, hmm. and, and uh, WICA has endorsed me. Uh, and again, it's because of these, these opportunities that they see uh, to help their business uh, find students. You know, one of my, you know, my good friend there at the Carpenters, Doug Hicks, always tells me about the fact that, you know, you can go and get a college education and you can spend 100000 plus on that education in, in student loans, or you can come working for us and make that money, you know, right off the bat, not have that and have a great life. Mm -hmm. And for some students, that's more valuable uh, than getting that education. So it's being able to provide that opportunity and that path. Another thing, you know, is that our JRTC program uh, is great. Um, but I think that here in San Diego County, 
we're such a military rich town, we can provide more opportunities for that. And I think that we can uh, continue to increase that. And one of the ways is just helping uh, have parents come in that have experiences and let them interact with the students, let them explain their uh, career choices that they've made, how it's benefited them after their uh, military service and, and continue to do that. So I just find that in order to provide those vocational education opportunities, relying upon our community that's around us will make our, our education experience even richer. Yeah. And that makes sense to me because, you know, college isn't for everybody. No. And uh, and there's so much pressure on, on the kids now um, when they're going through high school. Uh, you know, I have two children that went through Poway High, Poway High and it's intense. Yeah. It's competitive. Um, it's culturally society competitive, which yeah. is kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, cause college isn't for everybody. And then, you know, some of these kids, they kind of feel like I need to do this. Maybe they don't want to do it. Yeah. They get in and they get over their head in debt. Um, they walk out with a degree if they're fortunate, maybe no degree. But if they do get a degree, it might be in something that is maybe not in a STEM field. Yep. And then they struggle to pay off those loans. So I think that makes a lot of sense, having more vocational opportunities. And it's interesting that the carpenters and other trade uh, unions are, are behind you because they have a worker shortage, just like the yep. whole market is experiencing. So they're looking for you know apprentices and other young recruits to come in. It is. And, you know, the Carpenters have a great program. Uh, AGC's got a program as well. You know, they're they're looking for, for you know, uh, students that have an aptitude and a desire to work hard. And you're right. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a brief story about the competitive nature here in, in uh, uh, you know, the Poway Unified School District. I go to bed, uh, wake up at two in the morning and my daughter's lights would be on and I'd walk down the hallway, knock on the door and go, you know, Hey kiddo, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm studying, I'm doing homework. And I'm like, it's two in the morning. Yeah. That's for real. I'm like, yeah, you need to go to bed. Yeah. You know, and I would have to force her repeatedly to go to sleep because she's staying up all night at times just to do homework. And, and she's, she was my great student that didn't procrastinate. And she still was up until two o'clock doing homework. And that was one of the more difficult challenges that I always had was trying to teach her how to balance life. You know, Mm -hmm. she was uh, competitive in in soccer and in softball growing up. And so was her sister. Um, But it was kind of trying to teach them how to prioritize your day, how to balance all of those. And then sometimes just go, I can't get it all done. Yeah. You know, and that was a hard challenge for them. But, you know, there's a lot of other students that that's not the path that they want to take. And I think you mentioned it. There's a lot of students that feel pressured that they have to do that. They have to go to college. That's the only way to succeed. Um, Luckily for me, that was what I was kind of pushed into. Um, And it worked out for me. But I know a lot of my friends that that ended up going to community college, uh, got into then a four-year university, and it just didn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing, you know, trades, and they they enjoy what they're doing, um, but they probably got about a four-year late start <laughs> into what they what they accomplished. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense to me. And you're right, there are a lot of a lot of uh, high school students here in Poway Unified that are up at two in the morning, and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, I mean they're. It's like they're doing an all-nighter for co- when they're in college, yeah. and here they are. They're just in high school, but some of these kids are so driven, and yep. a lot of it is you know family-driven, dr- cultural-driven here locally yep. to be a high achiever in every dimension of their life. Absolutely, and that's a heavy load to carry when you're 16 years old. Yep. So that's it, tough. 
It is tough. And, and, you know, I think unfortunately for some students, they they get to that, you know, mental breakdown point where they put so much pressure on themselves. And that's an issue that we have in our, our school district is is some of the mental health issues that that do manifest themselves um, through some of that pressure that we we put on our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I hear you there loud and clear. Now, let's one more thing I want to ask about curriculum. Actually, a couple more. Um, one is, is, and again, going back to TJ Zane, um, I remember he talked about this when he ran in 2014 about having classes on things like personal finance, yes. you know, and other kinds of life lesson kind of classes. Are they doing that at Poway Unified, or is that something that you would like to explore? I think it's something that needs to be explored more. Um, when I went through high school, we had a couple of classes like that. But I wasn't fortunate enough to go through Poway Unified School District. Uh, my school district, uh, well, I went to four different high schools, so I can't <laughs> even say school district because I also went to four different schools, uh, school districts. But we didn't focus nearly as much on, on going to college. Most people that went to college got a athletic scholarship from where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a lot more of those home ec classes uh, that focused on your finances, that focused on basically trying just to, to survive on a day-to-day basis. And it was a surprise to me when my daughter started working in high school um, and then off into college that they basically explained to me, you know, a little bit rudely that they didn't understand how to balance a checkbook. Yeah. They didn't understand uh, personal finances. And, and um, it was a little bit of a surprise to me that my responsibility. So we started to work with them and and we probably have more work to do with them and and help them along their way uh, to be financially successful. But it is, it is something that I think we need to do a little bit more of in the school district, at least through personal experience. It it appears that we're not doing that uh, as much as we should or could. Yeah. It's, you know, that's the classic line about balancing a checkbook, but you know, now the, you just go to the ATM and yeah. it shows you your balance. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now it's maybe not a checkbook. Maybe yeah. it's your, your QuickBooks. Exactly. You know, but, but you have to understand your, yeah. you know, your, your technology that's out there to help you mm-hmm. and assist you. You just have to be able to, to find those resources now. Yeah. And it's also, you know, learning how to make wise life choices that have financial impact Correct. on your long-term success. So um, I think that's, that's a whole world there that I've often wondered – why there's not more of that at Poway Unified. Yeah. Well, here's another topic on curriculum that was, this was a hot issue um, like three years ago, you know, when we had, or two years ago, when we had the, the, the George Floyd protests and there were a lot of, you know, racial um, issues that were going on in society. And there were a number of um, students at Poway Unified that started an Instagram account called Black at PUSD. And they were bringing forward a lot of, racial discrimination, things that they witnessed in their classrooms. And they went on to influence the school board to to create certain classes to talk about racial uh, discrimination, history, et cetera. So maybe you can share some thoughts on that. So I absolutely uh, support educating our children on, you know, the problems that our country has faced and has gone through. You know, it it is – has been a struggle for our country, uh, and it will continue to be a struggle for our country to face these issues. Um, you know, our, our country was founded in 
you know, on, on a basis where we had slavery, that it was acceptable. We fought a civil war over it, and we continue to fight uh, the aftermath of that civil war. You know, I just watched a uh, literally last night a 30 for 30 on the 1962 Ole Miss uh, football team and uh, the racial integration of the campus there. You know, incredibly valuable. Um, obviously, 62 is a little, maybe not obvious for some people, but it was before my time. Um, <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I learned some lessons yeah. there. Yeah. And, and being able to learn what our country has done uh, helps us become a better country. Mm-hmm. We have to own the mistakes of our past, and we have to be able to, to learn from that if we're going to move beyond that. Um, and what's important about that, you know, why I bring up that example of Ole Miss is one of the things that they talked about is the Confederate flag and what that symbolizes to um, white students at Old Miss compared to um, you know African Americans in the South and what those two um, you know that one symbol means to very two distinct communities yeah and being able to understand um, the different perspective is important and we need to teach that we need to educate our children on that. However, what I don't support is to have a political bias towards that education. And we have to make sure that in anything that we do, uh, we're not trying to educate people uh, towards a political outcome of your own belief, whether that is becoming a conservative or whether it is becoming a liberal. Uh, That is not the place for uh, our education and curriculum. So, you know, we talk all the time about critical race theory, and, and that's the hot topic. That's the big buzz. And there's problems with critical race theory. There is no problem with talking about race in our country. We have to do that. We have to talk about those issues. And I think at Poway Unified School District, what those what those students were facing in terms of of the local discrimination is is accurate and correct. Um, you know, I, I'll share one story that I remember. My child was. Uh, first grade, I think. And she kept talking about her best friend and her best friend and how, you know, her best friend would do this or her best friend would do that and they would fight or they, you know, had a great day or whatever. And every day I would hear her come home and, you know, tell me about, about, you know, stories about her best friend and what they did. And it wasn't for probably another three or four months that I learned that her best friend was, was an African American child. And Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, that is pretty remarkable that not once did my child ever explain to me anything about race, anything about it. it was just her best friend. Um, and I don't think that's always been the case in Poway Unified School District. I think, unfortunately, we've seen race creep its ugly head in this district for whatever reason. Uh, I was recently at a, um, a CRT meeting, um, actually an anti-CRT meeting, uh, that they were talking about, and it was put on uh, basically discussing anti-Semitic um, issues with CRT. And and so I was talking to the uh, uh, Anti-Defamation League uh, about Poway Unified School District and, and race here and, and some of the, the issues that we had. And I don't know if it, if it made me feel better, if it made me feel worse, but they basically said what your experience and what you've seen in, in Poway Unified School District is not unique. And I, I thought, well, I guess that's good. But then it was actually terrifying that this is happening everywhere in San Diego County. Um, that we see these ugly issues of race, you know, pop up periodically. Because I know, you know, John, you probably remember some of the instances where swastikas have been painted on our high schools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, neo-Nazi uh, 
paraphernalia and and recruiting materials are put into library books where you know child opens that you know those things have happened here throughout the years and you know it's disgusting when it does but unfortunately i guess it's not unique to my school district and to our school district yeah i mean that's a fair point because to, you know, I often comment that this community, Poway Rancho Bernardo, is a little bit like a bubble, yeah. you know, Penasquitos, that we live in kind of an idyllic little world. But there is, a, there is, you know, there are problems in yeah. our in our local culture, in our local society, and those need to be addressed, you know, straight on. So, you know, good on you. But I want to ask you the question about just on the last comment on critical race theory. I think a lot of people don't really know what that means. I mean, everyone's got a kind of a perception of what CRT is. Um, but I just, maybe if you could explain in your own words, what is critical race theory? So critical race theory is, you know, I, and I'm not an expert on this. So mm-hmm. uh, those that hear this, you know, please correct me. But, you know, for me, the, the, the there's some other different descriptions of, of, the, the, the teachings of critical race theory and, and, and different ways to teach ethnic studies. Um, what signif- you know, is significant about critical race theory is that there is this belief that inherently because of the color of your skin, uh, you cannot overcome your racial bias. And that is one of the things that I just cannot subscribe to. Um, you know, and, and I use that example of my daughter and her best friend growing mm-hmm. up is that she, as a child, completely overcame racial bias of her skin color because we had never taught her that our school district had never taught her that, you know, meaning taught her a racial bias that that you were better or worse than anybody because of uh, the color of your skin. So she inherently knew that her and her best friend were you know, just her and her best friend, mm-hmm. whatever color and pigmentation that her skin was or, or the color of her hair or her eyes, those things didn't matter to her. And so to me, that just kind of helps to illustrate that it's not inherent. You can teach somebody uh, to overcome their own personal bias that they have. Uh, it, you can work. And if I didn't believe that, I couldn't have faith in any of our country. You know, we would have to then go back to segregation because we could then never work together uh, if we had different beliefs, if we had different cultures, if we had, you know, any of that. So for me, that belief that you are inherently biased and racist based upon your color of skin, based upon, you know, that, that just because, you know, you're white, you're a colonizer and you will always have that, <laughs> that's just garbage, mm-hmm. you know, and we're never going to get anywhere if that's what we're teaching our children. We're taking such a far step back. I mean, we're, we're resegregating our population right now. And we're seeing it on, on a lot of college campuses and it's unfortunate. We need to continue to move forward. Uh, we have made incredible leaps and bounds over the last 60, 75 years and we're nowhere near the finish line. We have a lot more work to do, but going backwards in that direction is is harmful, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting topic. I mean, because you know, you brought up it's very true. You know, the, the race is a huge part of American history, and and there's a lot that students need to learn about what happened historically. But to your point, moving forward, I think we can all. Um, ideally be able to judge each other as individuals based on our own individual character. Right. Um, And I think that's what your daughter was doing, you know, with her best friend in the first grade. So it it just, this whole CRT thing is just an interesting issue because even it's almost really a college level kind of a a curriculum. It's not really being taught in the fourth grade or anything like that, but do you think there's any CRT or elements of it that are in the curriculum today in uh, Poway Unified? 
it, it, we we do not have a specific CRT curriculum that that is being taught that is being taught at other districts. Uh, we have started to bring in more ethnic studies, which is good. Um, and I'm happy to continue to work with parents and and uh, the educators to make sure that that we're uh, keeping it very uh, non political. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to say. Um, because we probably have some, you know, some things to work on within that, and, and we probably could be more, you know, um, critical. Not to really talk about CRT, <laughs> yeah. but you know, critical yeah. of of what we did as a country. Yeah, and and you know, explain you know some of those other you know factors. It's certainly not perfect, I'm sure, but uh, I don't think that we have as many of the problems here in Poway as some of the other districts do. Um, but that's in large part because of the participation of of our parents in our children's education. Right on. Okay, can we take a few more questions from Absolutely. the audience? Please. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a yeah, a bunch of people here. The, the chat line is loading up. Here we go. So um, uh, here's Ed Franklin. Fundamentals are key. I agree with you. Yeah, we forgot you. those things. And here's another question from Pete. Uh, Pete Neal. Do you feel that the distance learning provided by COVID can be dovetailed into the pre-COVID methods for a more tech education? That's an interesting angle. Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I do. Um, and it's interesting because there's a couple of different angles of, of what took place during our, our uh, COVID period. And, and that's a really good question. Um, you know, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, John, about, you know, being able to participate in more um, seminars and more, um, you know, learning opportunities. You get, <laughs> I, I'm tired of being in more meetings, but there are some <laughs> yeah. valuable meetings that mm-hmm. I've been able to sit in because I don't have to drive two hours to go up to Los Angeles to hear a, a webinar or a seminar because I can, I can participate that in there. So I do think that we can provide more of those opportunities for our children to be able to expand, you know, uh, this may be one of the next things that that brings our country together. You know, um, you know, Ford when he created and, and mass produced the the Model T, uh, what it did was it started to bring our country together. Right. So if you lived on the East Coast, you could hop in a car and travel. So you started to see during that period of time our country becoming closer, less regionalized, and more of a national country. And you can kind of potentially have the same thing happen with the tech industry, that somebody that is in you know, Boston is working on something that has been working with their students and can share that to somebody here in, in Rancho Bernardo and Poway. So I, I think that there's a lot of uh, exciting opportunities for that, uh, as long as we don't get bogged down in too many meetings. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there. this is a very interesting question, Pete. It is. Thanks for sharing that because, you know, the, the whole COVID crisis was crazy. I mean, yeah. so many things that went, you know, positive, went negative. I mean, we can – and I want to talk a bit about it. But to this point, there were some silver linings to COVID. There were. Um, a few. You know, the telecommuting was good and, 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 you know, connection with family was good. I mean, there's a lot of things – that we can say came out of it that were positive. But overall, it was an extremely difficult time, especially for our children. Yes. Um, so we had, um, during COVID, we had some of our elementary school students that were in the third grade or the, or younger, and it was a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, and for to a great degree, it was almost like a wasted year for some of those students. So share with me your thoughts on how Poway Unified navigated COVID 
and maybe how you would have done things differently? That's a great question. You know, my COVID experience was um, very unique. Um, I had a child in elementary. I had a child in middle school. I had a child in high school. And I had a child in college all living at home. Oh my gosh. Um, my <laughs> wife and I worked full time. Oh no. And it was a it was a terrible experience for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that the hardest thing was, you know, because I'm home, my kids see me. I'm sitting uh, you know, we've we've got two we had a dining room, a formal and then an informal dining room. And so my wife was at one table, I'm on the other, and the kitchen is separating us. And you know, my daughter comes up to me and asks me a question, but I'm on a Zoom meeting, so I have to tell her, you know, just one minute, let me finish this call, and then I can. And then I'll, ask, you know, I ask her, you know, what, what's your question? Never mind, forget it. I, you know, and the patience in the house <laughs> yeah, of everybody living together yeah. was lost, and we were at yeah. each other's throats. Uh, and that wasn't unique. I mean, my experience of having four kids at four different levels of education at that one time was probably unique, because mm-hmm. um, having four kids these days is unique. Yeah, but. Uh, we all went through tough experiences during COVID and the way that the Poway Unified School District handled it was better than most school districts, I think. But I think that we could have done better there. There's no doubt that um, there was a level of fear that took over for a lot of people. Um, We, the hardest part from my perspective as a parent was that we were uncertain constantly what was going to happen. And we kept getting mixed messages from the school district. You know, since leaving the Marine Corps, I work in, in public relations and I can tell you that their communications to the parents was awful. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was awful. We had no idea what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, in the Marine Corps, when you talk on the radio, on the side of your, your radio, on the handset, there is a little button, and it's the PTT, and it's the push to talk, not the push to think. So mm. we would always tell our Marines, don't push that and think about what you're going to say. Wait, think about it, and then push to talk. That would have been great advice, I think, for some of our communications from our schools to our parents. Make sure that what you are going to communicate is final. And that this is what you know, better information would have been given because I think that there was just a lot of disinformation, bad information, early information. And and for some parents, it was pretty confusing as to what was happening, what was going to happen, when the schools were going to open back up, were they going to open back up? And, and we struggled with that. And I think that for parents and all of us during a pretty uncertain time, that was harmful. Um, so I can't speak about everything on the inside of what I would have done because I wasn't there. Uh, but as a public communicator, I would have definitely uh, focused a little bit on our communications with our parents. Hey, I mean, that's important. I mean, it no question, especially is. during that time when it was so everyone was learning as we were going. I mean, everyone said, believe the science, believe the science. But it seemed like the science was evolving yeah. as we learned more. And what was interesting to me was that um, La Jolla Country Day had very little downtime through the whole COVID crisis because they followed the science. Yeah. They had their classes, their classrooms were ventilated. Um, they brought in air filtration systems. Every 45 minutes, the classroom emptied yeah. and everyone went outside and then they came back in. And so when the air was moving, no one, not no one, but very, very few people got infected with COVID yeah. and students were having productive learning days Parents could work and not have to be, 
you know, scrambling like your family was doing. Um, so it seems like there were a lot of different approaches that Poway Unified might have considered, but for whatever reason, they didn't. I agree with that. You know, um, Lakeside Unified School District, uh, I think, handled the situation a lot better. Um, they did not shut down for as long. They kept their schools open, and we probably could have done the same. Um, you know, I think that what what our school district tried to struggle with was do we com- you know which direction do we go? And I think that they they changed their mind too much. Um, if we had to follow the science, one of the things that, that that the science certainly said was that small children would not be inf- affected, not infected. They would be, but they would not be affected nearly as much yeah. as the older generation would be. Um, and we didn't really follow that. We put everybody into the same category that this is going to kill you and it's going to be the end all. And that wasn't really the science. We had a lot more opportunities to do like La Jolla Country Day did and experiment a lot more um, with with following the science. And if it didn't work, we can change. Um, but what we did know was that keeping our children away from other students, other children, uh, to integrate to socialize was going to be harmful to them and their development. And it certainly has been. I I had a a salient point when during all of this, uh, my son said to me, it was his birthday. We had been locked down for over a year and we were going to go out to, um, you know, a family fun center and we were going to go miniature golfing uh, in, in the one in uh, uh, off of Balboa Avenue. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, can I bring my friend? And I said, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to invite a couple of friends to this, you know, that would be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, OK, because I haven't seen them in a year. A year. And I, and I it just was, you know, yeah. hit, it hit home hard because I was like, mm. you're right. You've been locked up and, and nobody, you know, allowed you to get out. I mean, we took them out to different things and tried to get them out. But parents weren't letting their children interact with other children. And it was. It was terrifying that we had done that to our children. We had basically kept them locked up in a house for more than a year. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was terrible. Um, yeah. And to your point, the children were less likely to be infected by the virus. Yeah. Um, yet they were the ones that seemed to have to wear the mask the longest amount of time yes. um, where adults were able to get a reprieve on that. You know, it's interesting that there's been sort of a vocal group of of parents that are protesting the masks. And, you know, we've seen them at the Poway Unified School Board meetings. We've seen similar parents at school boards across the nation. Um, And they've been primarily objecting, I think, to the mask requirement. I think that was their number one, right? You know, I I think that you can look at it as objecting to the mask, or I think you can look at it in a sense of objecting to not having their participation in the entire process of their children's education. And I, I think during, that's one of the things that during COVID that, that has kind of bothered me the most is that we took the parents out of the equation more than we should have. I think Poway Unified School District is a special uh, school district because we have had parents' involvement. You know, growing up, um, you know, the kids growing up, whenever there was an issue that needed to be solved, um, whether that was not having enough you know, money for X, Y, or Z, parents stood up. We raised money. We did what we needed. We volunteered. We got things done uh, during tough times. We took that away during COVID, and we kind of became uh, – there, there was this increased animosity between administrators and parents. And I, I just think that we have to – 
resolve that in order for Poway to continue to be uh, incredibly uh, uh, you know productive once more. So I think during those debates, yeah, masks were were certainly the topic, but I think the frustration was being closed out of really what was mm. happening to the education of your children. That's a fair point. Um, because yeah, parent. I mean, because it was so disruptive to yep. family lives. A lot of people had to leave their jobs to take yep. care of their kid, and they go in a financial crisis, and it was a lot of chaos. It was. Um, but I, I remember someone telling me a number of years ago that um, a school district needs to be like a three-legged bar stool, and it's the teacher, it's the student, and it's the parent, and all three of those need to be working, coll- you know, absolutely, you know, synchronized. Yep. Um, and and. And if one of those legs breaks, then the whole thing falls. I agree. I think that's a great analogy. Um, John, I hope you don't mind if I steal that. Probably will we'll okay. use that through you know my uh, my career here on the uh, the school board. Sure, because um, I do. I think that's exactly right. And I think mm-hmm. that for a long period of time, we've done that right at uh, in Poway. Uh, you know, we've had an incredible amount of parents that are involved in our children's life, and and that's important. We have to get back to that. Mm-hmm. So parental rights and, and parental involvement is, is still key to any issue moving forward. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, you're seeing that a lot more in the national discussion about education. Um, you know, you know, some some, uh, you know, the Republican Party and some parts of the country are calling themselves the parents party. Right. Yeah. You know, I've so seen that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, not trying to bring in red no. versus blue on this but but the point is is that yeah i mean i think a lot of parents feel like they want to be engaged in their child's education yep. um and they want to have an, an avenue to participate and um, we got a few more comments here excellent okay um and this also from ed franklin you should talk to the abc in poway is he talking about alcohol beverage control or? i hope not i hope not <laughs> I, i'm becoming an expert on that but that's completely different so yeah ed franklin by the way and, and here here he says this guy is sharp ed franklin's a good guy he's a former ceo and president of the poway chamber oh true. okay and, and he also has his own podcast the, the uh, ed franklin no limits podcast and oh, here he goes i need him on my podcast after the election sounds good ed i will be happy um, and then uh, Pete Neal says, my granddaughters are in Design 39. <laughs> if elected, don't screw it up. I mean, this, that's a good question. I mean, what do you it think is. of Design 39? I mean, that's been an interesting experiment, right? It has. And, and I think it's been a very successful uh, experiment. Uh, during this campaign, I've had a chance to walk around and, and talk to a lot of uh, voters, parents, children. I remember going to the door of of a, a parent and we were kind of talking and, and his, his son was uh, very active uh, and, and kind of animated. And, and he was about eight or nine years old. Um, and I asked him, I said, you know, what school do you go to? And he, he told me design 39. Um, so he might've been a little bit older, but I asked him, I said, what's your, what's your favorite thing about that school? And he, he said everything. And I said, well, is there anything specific? And he said, my friends, Okay, um, which was probably a pretty good answer from a kid his age. But he was so proud of that school. And, and it was terrific. You know, we considered, you know, whether or not we would put our daughter in there. She's she's certainly more artistic um, mm-hmm. than most. Um, I, I like to think that she got that from me, uh, <laughs> but she's better than I am. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm very proud of all what she does. And. You know, she she really kind of uses both sides of her brain to think. 
so that was kind of why it was a little bit of a challenge. Which which direction do we go? But that school is incredible. What they provide the opportunity for for different children. And that's kind of what I talk about a little bit with the vocational education. That's why Design Thirty Nine is important. That's why those others are because we want to make sure that we're finding the right path for our kids and letting them explore some of that as they get to that age. Yeah, when Design Thirty Nine started, I I thought this is great. I mean, yeah. I love the idea of, of of the innovation of trying new things. Because if you look back at education for 100 years, it's been the same kind of paradigm, right? The teacher yeah. in the front with the chalkboard, or now it's a whiteboard, and then, you know, 25 desks in the classroom. And it's been that kind of a system. Yep. And the fact that they shaked it up or shook it up is, was great. But I've also heard there's been some turmoil at Design 39. Um, I've, again, through the grapevine, I've heard that there's been a lot of turnover with teachers there. And, you know, there's been some concerns with the way that school's being run. Yeah, I haven't uh, gotten any real specifics on that. Um, certainly something for me to, to look into and, and, and to keep my eyes open for. Um, but, you know, being a candidate, you you get a lot of information, but you don't get all of it. So, you know, I don't have the answer to that. You know, I, I, I certainly will continue to, to keep an eye on that. But I, I think to, to Pete's point, that is a, a valuable program that we can continue to monitor, um, explore, potentially, you know, expand different opportunities and, and see where it works. You know, another program that we have that I think is great is the uh, uh, Los Penn Academy. You know, and it, and it goes to the point that you've got different learning opportunities uh, for our children in, in Poway uh, Unified School District. And we just continue to to provide different things. Uh, my children went to the, the Los Penn Academy and one of them loved it. One not so much because it was a little bit more of a challenge for her. Um, but it. You know, it provides a different path for some students that that respond better to that. You know, it's it's one of the KIPP schools. Keep it positive. Uh, but it, the first thing that they do there is give a contract to the kids and the parents and the, and the children have to kind of go through that contract. And they have a commitment to the teachers and to their parents that they will uh, stick to throughout the education and, and, and the year. And it's a great opportunity for children to expand their learning um, you know, you get a couple more hours in the day. It's not the end all be all for all kids. But the point is with Design 39, with Los Penn, with the JROTC, with more vocational education opportunities, hopefully we're expanding children's learning opportunities to, to find the right uh, mix for them. We're not going to be successful all the time, but you might get a life lesson that you wouldn't have had if we don't provide different uh, chances. Well, yeah, and I think also the bilingual schools, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, so, uh, I mean, I know there's Pomerado has the Spanish immersion program, but I believe there's, is Mandarin taught in some there, of the schools? There is. There's a Mandarin immersion program as well, which is terrific, you mm-hmm. know, and, and for some, you know, students, that is the right path for them and, and for parents as well. Um, you know, when we had our, our children, um, we, we taught them sign language. Um, immediately. So, Hmm. and it was great because they could not communicate verbally, but by about six months, they could tell us whether or not they were hungry. They wanted milk. They wanted food. They had to go, they went to the bathroom. Really? Yeah. You could communicate with, with just, you know, if they wanted more, you know, they were still hungry. Um, I wish I would have known this. They were were all done. You know, we we taught them a cup, you know, sign language. So they could communicate starting at six months. Um, 
and you know if they wanted milk they there was you know the the hand signals for them to communicate so there was less crying and and things of that nature when we we then put them into a uh, a daycare program we made sure that it was bilingual that they could learn spanish and i did this because i am terrible at language i could barely learn english to begin with <laughs> yeah. you know i took spanish um you know throughout high school and throughout college and if you ask me to to you know speak to you in Spanish right now. I'm going to ask you where the library is and, and the bathroom. And that's about it. <laughs> on, on a side note, funny, I took the D lab, which is the defense language aptitude battery, the, the test. Mm-hmm. And remarkably, I scored in the highest level that they told me that I could, I could go and learn Mandarin. Uh, which I'm really? like, I don't know how I'm able to, to have <laughs> such a high aptitude for that when I couldn't learn Spanish. So maybe they were grading on the curve. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe our tests uh, for the, the Department of Defense is uh, questionable at best, but I found that always to be funny. But we tried to do that with our children and, and give them an opportunity. And, and um, you know, they're they're pretty fluent in Spanish, our two older children. Um, and, you know, I think that that will set them up for great success here in San Diego. You know, it, it, I think it's great, too. I mean, the, the, all these different programs that are available, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say the two words school choice. And for some people that sets their hair on yeah. fire. Um, but even within Poway Unified, there is school choice, you know, amongst the 39 yeah. schools. Whether you're applying to in a lottery to get into Design 39 or you want to go to Westview for um, JROTC or you want to go to Poway High because you want to do 4-H. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a great thing. I've always thought that was something that could be expanded on within the school district. I absolutely agree. You know, I, I understand where administrators and, and the schools are, are always concerned um, about, you know, when we start talking about school choice because that takes away dollars from their school. And that certainly is an issue in Poway Unified School District. Um but that's a great point about the choice that our students have within and our parents have within our school district. Then um, we probably need to continue to expand that, seek new opportunities that uh, give them a chance to to find the right path for them. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it can be easy as as being in, in a in a uh, environment that's comfortable to you. You know, we we've learned over the years that when children are in a school environment that they don't feel comfortable, about, they don't learn. So we learn in different ways and different paths, and it's important to provide those those choices. Right, right on. Yeah. So, it, God, there's so I mean, literally, there's so much we can talk about. Yeah. Are you doing all right on time? I'm doing good. I've got nothing going on. So. <laughs> okay. But I don't know that we're going to uh, keep the audience entertained. No, but, we but can you still... know, but I'll I'll cut this into pieces, and we'll have <laughs> some fun with that too. Um, I want to talk about one big issue for Empower Unified, and it's the whole financial picture. Yes. Okay, so there was the, the Measure P, the bond that um, was brought forward. That was in 2020, I think. And and was it, or was it 2021? 20, it might have been 2020. I was thinking it was 2018, but it might have been 2020. You're right. I think that that's it. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the, the years the, the year, Yeah, <laughs> you start getting old like us. The, 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 the years and elections start to squeeze together. So that Measure P was a, another bond issue um, to, I think it was to raise almost a half a billion dollars to... Um, yeah, I think it was about four, I think the actual number is like $448 million. Yeah. I think that was it, if my memory serves me correct. And and it was to renovate and upgrade a lot of the schools in the district. Yes. And we heard stories about, you know, the leaky roofs. We've heard a lot of stories about the um, 
uh, the locker room and the gymnasium at Poway High. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now recently hearing all the stuff about the air conditioning at Ranch Bernardo High, and and your kids are there. So yep. and, and at the middle school, but that bond measure failed. Yep, it came close, but it failed. Um, and it I, came close under a lower threshold that right. that we now have. It used to be two thirds, and now we've lowered that to uh, what fifty five. Yeah, that's a funny thing. And it still failed. When I first came and moved to Poway in, in the uh, mid-90s, they were talking about a school bond measure there. And you're right. It was a two-thirds. And they could never get to two-thirds. So they changed the rules yep. and and made it easier. And to your point, yeah, still sometimes it does fail. Um, but I contend that part of the reason that it failed is that people are still bitter about the billion-dollar bond that was enacted 10 years ago that we haven't even started making payments on yet. Correct. You know, those payments don't start till 2033, I think, and go That's for correct. 20 years. That's so correct. So share with me your thoughts on the financial condition of Poway Unified. I know Superintendent Marion Kempfels just wrote a, an editorial recently talking about the history, not wanting to be blamed by the leaders of the past. Um, it was a little bit of a deflection, but... Um, Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the financial condition of the school district. So having lived here during that period of time when that uh, when that bond was passed in uh, 2011, I, I will guarantee you my family voted against that one. Mm-hmm. Um, state laws have been changed because of that bond. Mm-hmm. We, you could not have that same financial uh, mess go to the ballot again because it is now illegal. That's how bad it is. So it's a billion dollars that we will pay back, but we borrowed $105 million. Yeah. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And to be clear, there is not a single board member that is currently serving that was on the board at that time. That's right. Uh, Superintendent Phelps was also not here at that time. Um, so this is paying for the sins of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Poway Unified School District is still doing that. I think you're 100% right that the last bond measure that was put out there failed because of the lack of trust in the school board because of that uh, bond measure. Mm-hmm. It's not been that long. I know for some people that are new to this district that just moved in here uh, and we're talking about these issues, this seems like ancient history and nobody remembers and, and we've moved on from that. I guarantee you talking to voters on a daily basis, they have not moved on from that. And at the Powell Unified School District, we have to rebuild that trust. Um, even if we don't go out for another bond, that level of trust that this current school board is running things in a much more transparent, uh, fiscally responsible manner has to be told, and the voters have to understand that. Uh, we have a lot of problems um, in, in terms of our maintenance facilities, uh, or, or, you know, our facilities and our maintenance of those. When my older daughters were at Bernardo Heights Middle School, we knew of the problems with the air conditioning unit. We knew that that was an issue then. It constantly went out. Uh, but we're in San Diego. We live in a very mild climate. Mm-hmm. So that thing just continued to be pushed onto the back burner. Um, in 2020, the school board voted in February to uh, fix that. They spent about a million dollars trying to fix those air conditioners and, and still have not done so. We're now saying that we're going to spend t- up to $10 million because a month and a half ago we passed uh, uh, approved moving forward with a request for proposal, an RFP, to 
fix those air conditioners. They're not the only air conditioners in Powell Unified School District that need to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Our school districts are aging. And this is part of the problem is the fact that with that bond that was passed in 2011, we lost that trust. So when it came time to go back out for another bond or the school district decided it was time, the trust wasn't there. They denied it. And now the school district is talking about $1.4 billion for a bond that they want to go out with in the next election cycle. That's three times. Absolutely. More than three times. More than three times what they're asking. And they think that we can get it done this time. Wow. And that is why uh, And I I question the timing on having a um, community meeting at the Poway Unified School District to discuss our financial uh, situation and our, uh, um, you know, maintenance situation um, and, and the, the discrepancies between getting paid for these that we don't really have a funding source from the state of California, uh, that we're doing this two weeks before the election, that we're going to have this conversation next week. I, I think that's probably something that politically the superintendent should not have scheduled, but she did. So that being the case, um, that has that argument will likely be made over the next two years. Uh, as to why we need to spend $1.4 billion of taxpayers' money. That's incredible. Um, And they often bring up the comment about how there is no funding source for this. But the school district, the the revenue stream into the school district is what, like $450 million a year? Correct. Um, So they have revenue to come for this. They just choose to spend it on other things. Absolutely right. Um, And... Again, I'm, I'm injecting my opinion here, so I'm sorry. But uh, they just never seem like they budget enough for maintenance. Correct. Because the money all goes really to pay for the employees, the teachers, et cetera. We spend, I, I may get this number wrong, but I believe the number is about 85% of that $450 million on teacher salaries. Now, in fairness to uh, um, teachers, we pay our teachers here in Poway Unified School District about the median. Uh, throughout the county. So they don't make a lot more money than others. They make some more than some, less than others. Uh, But we're looking at a financial, this is what we have to compete against, is a financial model like San Diego uh, Unified School District, where their model is give every dollar of that money that comes down to the state to administrators and to teachers, and then just continue to go back out for more bonds and more bonds and more bonds to pay for everything else that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And and we have to compete with that model. So it makes it challenging because San Diego Unified School District hasn't paid off their last billion dollar bond as they're going out for another almost, if my memory serves me correct, like 2.1 billion that wow. they're asking for. Wow. So you haven't even finished spending, not not paying it off, yeah. finished spending that money when you're asking for more. So therefore, all of the money that comes down to the San Diego Unified School District can be paid for teacher salaries. And they get more money per uh, student per capita than we do. We get about $9,200, and we hear that from supervisor or Superintendent Phelps all the time, that we are the lowest in San Diego County. That's also because we're a more affluent community. We have less uh, English uh, as second language Mm -hmm. uh, learners. We have less uh, special education needs students. Uh, So we get less uh, special earmarked money than some of the other school districts because I think San Diego Unified School District gets about $10,600 per student Mm -hmm. uh, while we get $9,200. So that's pretty significant. But 
we now have to compete on that level, and it's a challenge. So the model then here would be $1.4 billion, which would then free up more money for us to spend on other issues, and we can spend that. My question would be, when does that $1.4 billion run out? Before it's paid off and before the other billion dollars is paid off? You know, one of the things that we have here in, in our communities is the price of our houses continue to go up. Um, one of the nice things about it is that our property rates are still, our property tax rates are still pretty low, about 1.1 1. 1, uh, throughout most of the school district. I know it's a little bit higher in the 4S areas because they do have mellow roofs there. But that 1. low tax, 1.1% tax rate helps the rest of us um, and it helps other people come in to, to purchase those. If we continue to to spend on the bonds and it goes from 1.1 to 1.3 to 1.5, it's going to make it even harder for other families to move into our community and to be able to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a challenge that we have to be able to recognize. At the same time, our communities are also getting older. I know the Rancho Bernardo is always considered, you know, a retirement community. Uh, that's just really a great marketing ploy by Harry Summers back in the day. Um, but we do have aging uh, members of our community that will be concerned about their retirement. And if their prop, their property tax continues to go up, it will be harder for them to continue to live in this community. So we have to take all of that into consideration at the Poway Unified School District. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough financial pickle to solve because it's not like um, you can guarantee that you're going to, you're going to get another tranche of cash yep. from Governor Newsom. No. I mean, sometimes it falls from heaven and it's a blessing, right? Yep. But but you can't count on it. Um, they can enact a school bond. I know there's been even people have floated the idea of a parcel tax, you know, that may be not connected to a capital yep. uh, loan, but maybe just to provide additional income from the school district. Um, but it's hard. I mean, because people are, you know, contending with smaller class sizes, yep. which then requires more teachers, which then makes the budget even more difficult to manage. That's exactly right. You know, right now we've got a surplus in our state budget. Um, I think that gives us an opportunity to work with our local legislators uh, to potentially bring down some uh, one-time fees and, and funding to, to fix these these issues. Um, and, and that's where one-time funding should go to. You know, mm -hmm. we, we just recently spent COVID money on hiring staff for one-time fees. That is fiscal mismanagement. You know, because once that one time money is gone, now you have staff that isn't going to be able to do that job. And we're going to have to find other ways to pay for that staff to keep yeah. them on and provide that value. And when we're talking about a situation where we can't afford to maintain our facilities, you can't afford to continue to bring on staff. It, it's it's basically the tail wagging the dog. Right. We hire this staff with one time money knowing that it's going to expire, and now we have to find other sources to keep that staff because we become dependent upon them. And these, most of them have been uh, mental health care providers, which is incredibly valuable, especially during the, uh, the COVID crisis. But I think moving forward, they're valuable to have on our campuses because we can't rely solely on our teachers to be mental health care professionals. They're not. They're teachers and educators. But now you got to backfill that, and you backfill it by taking it from where, someplace else. The first place that we seem to take it from is our facility maintenance, mm -hmm. and we can't afford to do that. So we need to, to have a little bit more fiscal management, somebody that's being going to be willing to ask very tough questions. I think as a Marine, I have been able to ask and be in some very challenging situations and, and, and stand up and, and say, no, 
this isn't right, uh, regardless of what my feelings might be uh, in those tough situations. So it's going to be difficult moving forward, but that challenge has to be made. Uh, and we have to be able to to find a better method uh, for what we're doing right now. Yeah, it's hard. And then like you, you get those um, administrators come in and not only are they it's one time money funding them for multiple years, but then they go into a step and column matrix Correct. where they get increases, you know, most years. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's so it just financially it's 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 challenging. Now, the, the, the district was in a much worse financial condition you know, during the previous regime with John yep. Collins, it's improved. There still are challenges. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, it is. And I commend this, this, you know, school board and, and our superintendent for, for helping navigate to get out of there. There's just more work that has to be done. And, and that's why I have decided that, you know, as, as painful as it may be at times, I, I think that I can bring some of my leadership and experience to bear here. Yeah. You know, you, you go back to that comment you made, what was it? Push to talk. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And uh, because communication is such an issue. I mean, I'm seeing this with candidates that are running for city council and for mayor. And you're bringing it up as well, is that our leadership is not communicating effectively. Our leadership often is not listening to the people effectively yeah. um, and getting their participation. And then it gives that feeling that sometimes decisions are made without input. People feel disenfranchised. Yep. And it's a tricky spot. It is. And, you know, we're a democracy. You can't allow your voters to have that feeling that they're not participating unless you don't want to be in office long. Right. <laughs> I mean, unless you don't want to hold your job. Right. Working for a public agency. So, you know, it, it is absolutely um, critical to be able to communicate to your voters and to taxpayers and to parents and to students about what's going on. Uh, and more importantly, they need to have buy in. They need to feel that the decisions are something that they trust and that they're part of, because um, ultimately it doesn't work if your teacher is saying one thing and then your parent is saying the other, because that poor child is going to have some serious cognitive dissonance that he's going to have to or she's going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So it, it requires that partnership uh, to be successful as a school district. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent agree. Got a few more comments from uh, the folks here. So... Um Let's see here. Uh, oh, the ABC uh, Apprentice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Here we go. The ABC comment. Absolutely. And that's a good point. I've got some uh, good friends that do work with, with ABC. Um, and so I will be reaching out to them, you know, once uh, in this position uh, to help uh, partner with them to provide different training opportunities for the vocational ed. So uh, thank you, Ed. I appreciate that. Yeah. Associate building contractors. Yep. So, uh yeah, Ed, Ed is a fan. This guy is sharp. <laughs> and what if he had made another comment down here? Um, yeah. Where was it? Uh, this one here. <laughs> Patrick Batten for president. I didn't realize that Ed was also a comedian, but he's a man <laughs> of many talents. So thank you, Ed. Um, yeah. So th this is great. So, I mean, I love seeing the comments. So again, if you're, if you're watching on the live stream on YouTube or Facebook, you know, feel free to type in your questions for Patrick. I mean, getting a lot of fun comments here, which is always great. Sometimes the chat audience are like talking amongst themselves, but, um, 
but yeah, Ed and Pete, thanks for, and Yuri for chiming in. But, you know, we welcome your thoughts and comments. I, I got a couple more areas to explore. Please. Are we doing all right? I'm well, doing good. We're at an hour 20. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I've had some guests that have gone over three hours. Wow. That, uh, we're not going to go that way. Yes. I don't know that I need to, to push the limits that much, but. Yeah, we'll go for maybe like another 10, 15, maybe. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. So. Um, I will say that that I had the, the best compliment that was given to you was I was talking to uh, uh, Kevin Juza, who was recently a guest of yours and he said he went about an hour and 30 mm-hmm. and didn't realize that it was longer than you know 15 20 minutes that it just felt like a great conversation cool so i thought that was a good comment and a good compliment oh right on yeah I, thanks kevin yeah <laughs> um that's the kind of the vibe that i want this to be because um it's just like you know two guys talking um and the goal here at least from my perspective is to draw out of you um what you're all about, you know, and what you stand for and the things that you want to do. Um, this isn't meant to be contentious no. or a debate. I'm not your opponent. You know, I'm just a guy doing a podcast. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of vibe I want. And I want my guests to feel comfortable. And I appreciate it. Been a great opportunity and, and it's, it's felt comfortable. And what this allows is a greater chance to explain and explore different uh, topics that, unfortunately, in the 15-second soundbite, you don't get a chance to do. <laughs> that's hard to do. Yeah, that's the great thing about yeah. this. So um, let's uh, – well, we, we were talking about the Padres earlier. Okay. So I know you're a Padre fan, right? So I am huge Padre fan. You know, grew up as a, uh, as a Padre fan, so it was exciting to, uh, uh, to watch this season and, and to actually be there for the uh, – the third game in the series on Friday. Mm-hmm. That, that is the most electricity I've ever seen at Petco. Probably not the most electricity I've ever seen in a Padres game because I was there for the 96 and 98 at, at Qualcomm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so much fun. Oh, San yeah. Diego deserves this. Big time. Yeah. yeah, I was at one of the games in 98. I think it was... Um I think it was at the Atlanta series. Okay. I was at one of those. And then I went to the playoffs in 05 and 06 when they lost to the Cardinals both times. And that yeah. was, that was a rough go, but we were know. there, we were there in 05 and, um, that was a tough one. We were there in the, in the last game where we, where they closed out on us. 06, I was, uh, I was in training. I, I could not make it, but <laughs> the only playoff series that I've, I've missed so far since, uh, becoming an adult. As a yeah. kid, I couldn't I couldn't afford the '84 series. My wife went. She, oh, she went, did. She went to a game in each each of the series. Good for her. Um, so she's a little bit more blessed than I am. <laughs> well, she crazy. also was in a suite. I think that this is unfair. Really? She was in a suite on Saturday when they closed. I got two tickets, and we went on Friday, and I took her as a guest. I was not there on Saturday. Instead, I was taking my daughter to homecoming and, you know, picking up my son from a Halloween party and being a good dad while she's out there celebrating. Okay. Well, sometimes you have to divide and conquer. Right. Um, now, just looking back at your history, you were a candidate for city council in 2020 for Correct. in San Diego. So for a brief moment, for a brief moment. Well, yep. just if you could, can you share with me a learning lesson that you had in that campaign? Uh, I'll tell you that the, the biggest learning lesson is a lesson that um, every candidate needs to understand. And, and I knew the lesson going in. It just reinforced that lesson that as sad and unfortunate as it is, money is the most important um, factor in, in a campaign these days. Uh, I went in there and 
it was a unique situation, not to bore too many people, but uh, the other candidate that was on there that was consider that was going to run could not run because he was an ethics commissioner. So his campaign was delayed. And based upon that, my calculation was he's not going to have a chance because he can't campaign until I think it was like November and the primary was in March. And how are you going to be able to raise the money and do all of this stuff? Well, he managed to raise all the money through a whole bunch of promises that did not hit the bank account until the first week of him uh, being there. Magic. So he had really done a great job of mm-hmm. securing his, his supporters and without officially campaigning, campaigning. So I was able to raise you know about $50,000 in the race, um, but I just continued to hit a wall and, and it, was, it was very um, obvious that he had done a great job. And he raised the most money in the first week and the first 30 days of any candidate in the history of the city of San Diego. Um, and that was fine. No, no, you know, no heartache over that. But that was the biggest lesson. And when that took place, I graciously stepped out of the race, um, thinking that it would be more important to, to have uh, uh, a fiscally responsible and conservative candidate go forward um, and and you know, one opportunity. So he ran, um, and I, I gave him my full support. Yeah. So I wasn't on the ballot. Oh, you weren't even on I, the ballot. I was not on the ballot. I pulled, I pulled back before getting on the ballot. Okay. So you so, just barely put your toe in the water. Yeah, I, I did my toe in the water. It was a great experience. Uh, got to talk to people. Um, which is why when this opportunity came up, I was more willing to do it because I had kind of learned some of the, those lessons. Um, and in this race, you know, we've raised about twenty five thousand uh, dollars for a school board race. We probably could have raised a lot more. I just don't know that I could have spent a lot more <laughs> without making everybody angry with more mailers. There's but, there's a level. But other people are spending on your behalf. Right. I mean, you know, some of maybe your endorsements or you know maybe the trade unions might be supporting you in other ways. Right. Might be, but I, I am not aware of any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they are. Um, they might. The school board races are a little bit different. But for any of those independent expenditures, there is, there's no coordination uh, between the candidate right, and that. Right, of course not. Um, so I, I haven't heard any rumors. So I, I would assume probably not. You know, what's funny is because you hear this topic about money in politics, right? And, and you know, if we could wave a magic wand, there would be no money in politics, right? Yep. But the reality is that there is. And it's because elected officials have so much power and so much control over, in the case of Poway Unified, of a $450 million a year operating budget, as well as um, power and control over school bond dollars that are being spent. Yes. So it's no, it's no wonder that, you know, Construction companies, construction unions are involved yep. that are donating. Um, teachers unions are backing candidates. It's it's a it's a you know it's it's a financial game that's going on behind the scenes while you're out there trying to share your message. Absolutely, you know, uh, great opera, great um, example is San Diego Unified School District again. You know, that's kind of the big leagues, right? You know, I think that Poway Unified School District probably, you know, triple A baseball. Like, we're important. We're big. <laughs> but we don't have the level of budget that San Diego Unified oh, yeah. School District yeah, that's a whole does. Other level, it's yeah. a whole other level. So you've got two candidates that are running there, um, Becca Williams and Cody Peterson. Um, Becca has outraised Cody significantly. But because they are protecting their interest, the uh, – Teachers' association or teachers' union there 
is f- outfunding uh, all the money that Becca has raised, and they are outspending her, even though she has probably outraised Cody by three to one, because they have a vested interest in making sure that they have their candidate that is going to ensure that they vote for their pay raises and, right. and their you know means, and and that's what takes place in a lot of these these uh, uh, races. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons specifically I did not seek the endorsement of the Poway Federation uh, of Teachers. I didn't even interview with them. I, I wanted to stay away from that because that will be one of my biggest constituents, per se, that I will have to make a very tough decision on their financial uh, future. So in order for having that level of transparency, um, as well as having a, uh, a buffer between me and them, um, I didn't ask them for for their endorsement. Now, what about um, the PSCA? Um, how, or do you have their endorsement? I, I do not because, again, I, I didn't ask for their endorsement um, for the same reasons. I will have to make a, a decision on their financial future, and I did not want to have um, any look that they were uh, unduly influencing uh, my decisions on, on those uh, on behalf of the taxpayers. Yeah, it's interesting to me because, you know, the, the the incumbent T.J. Zane, um, who's you know a very prominent Republican in our county, had the endorsement of the teachers union, which was like was unusual, yep. right? Because yep. usually you, you don't see that. Um, and here you are, you're you're kind of coming in. You know T.J. He's giving you some good advice, um, but you're right. I think school board members are going to make tough choices, and it is a cyclical thing, right? You know where. Or an incestuous thing yep. where the school, the, excuse me, the unions endorse the candidate, give them money, help them get elected. Then the candidate, once elected, goes back to the union and gives them what they want. That's right. And then it just becomes this self-fulfilling thing. Yep. If you look, you know, on, on you can go to SD vote and you can you can look at the financial uh, uh, contributions to, to the candidates in this race. And we're in. A period where if you get a donation of more than a thousand dollars, it has to be reported within 24 hours, which is great for the transparency. Because uh, in this this race, uh, there are no limits um, yeah. on contributions. Isn't it amazing? It is amazing. <laughs> I, I had somebody say to me, uh, "Well, you know, I'll max out to your race," and I said, "Great, you can just transfer your uh, your account balance to me." He's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, that's you know, I explained yeah, to him, yeah. like, literally, if you're going to max out, that's every dollar you have. I mean, isn't that shocking? I mean, because it, whether or not you. Believe believe in, in donation limits. I mean, Poway yeah. City Council, they have very strict limits. They do. And and every one of those rules and limits are made by the incumbents. And surprisingly, every single one of those protects the incumbents. Of course. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I support this a lot more with the transparency. So you got the 24-hour reporting. And you can see that I've got at least 10, if not a dozen, you know, 24 hour reporting from a thousand dollars and up. Uh, my, my opponent has one and it's from the Poway Federation of Teachers. You know, mm-hmm. that's her biggest contributor. Uh, it's the only one that has donated to her more than a thousand dollars. And it, it's, you know, significantly less than, than what I have raised, but it is the significant proportion of what she has raised. And I find it unsurprising that her number one priority that she talks about is teachers and hiring more teachers and increasing their pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, that while I don't have a problem with that, it becomes an issue where you get questioned. Would you have said that if you didn't receive a financial contribution from them? I can honestly say 
what I say is not based upon who has contributed to me uh, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my as I mentioned, my mother-in-law was a teacher in the school district for 35 years. I absolutely value the the, the teachers in this district. We need uh, better teachers uh, to stay, uh, to come in, to recruit, to you know, to to fill the education gap. But there will never be a question as to why I believe that. Mm. And that, that to me is important um, in a level of transparency and, and uh, being able to communicate that to, uh, to voters and taxpayers. Mm. That makes sense. Um, you, you did kind of – we're not naming names, but you, you did talk a little bit about your competitor. Um, let me ask you this. What makes you different than your competitor? Why should they vote for you rather than your competitor? You know, I, I think that, that there's a lot of – differences between her and I. I don't know her. Um, one of the biggest differences, uh, I, I think, is a little bit on perspective. Uh, I'll, I'll share a story. Um, and this is based off of what I saw on her her Twitter uh, account, which, which bothered me. Um, when President Obama was running for president and he defeated uh, John McCain, my daughter was about eight years old. I was still on active duty in the Marine Corps, but I was my wife and I were, were getting prepared and we were going down to Golden Hall for election night. At that time, we still had Golden Hall that all the cameras were there yeah. and, and we were going to go down there for the excitement of it. And my daughter comes into the bedroom and says, she's eight years old and says, Dad, the TV's wrong. I'm like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I said, you know, OK, kiddo, what, what's what's wrong? It, it said that Obama's going to be the next president. And I'm like, well, TV's not really wrong. She goes, but but dad, we're still voting. It's only like 730. Mm. I had to explain to her uh, time changes yeah. and, you know, that the state of California, while we haven't finished voting, we are 100 percent voting for Obama and that will give him enough electoral votes to, to win. Um, so the TV, unfortunately, for your eight year old perspective is is not wrong. And she looked at me with these sad eyes and said, this is the worst day of my life. Oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I gave her a hug and, and told her it's OK. You know, it's, it's, it's not the worst day. It may feel like the worst day of your life, but it's not. And I said, the, the beauty of our country is that we have a republic and we are not going to see drastic changes. You know, our country is still going to be just fine. And in fact, this may be an opportunity for us to heal some of the wounds that we have had over the past. Cause we talked a little bit about the racial issues, mm-hmm. you know, first uh, black president that we ever had. And you know, this, this might make things a little bit better. Um, I think unfortunately we could probably say it didn't, it probably uh, exposed some of those racial divides. Uh, but hopefully in the future, uh, because those things have been, been exposed, we can find a solution to that. Uh, all that being said, you know, I saw a tweet from my opponent that on July 4th, she said that she was uh, disappointed and did not feel like celebrating her country uh, independence because uh, the Supreme Court's decision seems to continue to take away her civil rights. That to me, regardless of the issue, I just think is and her. she mentioned her daughters in there, too. It's just a stark difference is that I don't think that our country is perfect. Uh, Our country will never be perfect. You know, we were to form a more perfect union, you know, and and we're still fighting towards that. Uh, It's just a big difference to me. That's a big difference for for the perspective as to how we teach our children and to give them valuable lessons that 
even though we may not agree with what our government does, our government affords us the opportunity to fix those things, that there is a, a method of remedy uh, for the wrongs that we have had. And our Supreme Court has made a lot of bad decisions in the, in the past, and we have mm-hmm. over, you know, uh, solved some of those. Uh, some of them we're still working to solve. But it's a perspective of how you teach and educate your children. And when you're in a Poway Unified School District Board of Trustee, I think that is a big perspective uh, in what you're, you're uh, uh, moving forward with. So to me, that's a big difference between her and I. That's an interesting comment because – Sometimes people conflate those two issues, love of country and love of the current leaders in government. Yep. And they're not the same thing. They're not. You know, I mean, I talk about on my podcast all about, you know, the, the, a lot of the themes of what I talk about in my solo podcasts are about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, which is right there in the Declaration of Independence. But I got a lot of problems what's going on around America. Absolutely. You know? And I think you can differentiate those two things. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting comment. Um, but, you know, there's just so much politicization going on in the world around us and social media, people reacting in different ways. It's something. It know? is. And I, I think it's unfortunate. You know, I one of one of the things that we've had, and this is kind of going to be a little bit more of uh, in-depth thought that, that probably should be spent a little more time uh, uh, exploring, is, you know, Senator John Vasconcellos um, back in the day put forth the, um, you know, self, what do we call it? Um, I want to say self-righteous, but that's not the self-value movement, mm-hmm. right? And through that, through educating our children, we talk now more about the importance of your opinion and that what you value yourself and your self-worth is more important than how people judge your actions. Therefore, what you believe is what you are now judging yourself on. So if somebody then goes and, and questions your beliefs, well, then they're questioning your human being yes. and in your soul. Mm-hmm. And so then you can't have a political discussion because if somebody disagrees with you, that's more important than anything is how you value yourself. And, and we we're in a challenging situation where uh, opinionation before knowledgeability is more important and how your opinion of yourself is viewed is more important than how somebody else's uh, opinion or, or judgment of your actions are viewed. And I think that's a, it's a, you know, damaging situation for our civil discourse. Yes, yeah, the whole facts and feelings and that whole argument yeah. as well. Yeah, it's it. And we're you, this is good stuff to talk yeah. about. Probably not as relevant to the school no. district race, but it is good because I think I'm glad you're expressing this because voters need to get a sense of who you are and what your values are. And so I think it's great that you're expressing it. We've got a few more comments. Sure. Okay. From uh, from our live audience. And um, and again, for all of you that are watching and, and listening on the live stream, thanks for sticking with us. This is great. Can't uh, believe we haven't put you to sleep yet. I know. Well, we're having fun here. Uh, we're a bunch of uh, like political science guy right I here. Know. So I you could probably talk on this forever. Um, okay. Yeah. Ed St. John, send me his contact information because he wants to book you on his podcast. Definitely. Yeah. Ed's a good guy. There's no such thing as government funding. It's taxpayer funded. And yeah, those are things that people kind of confuse. I can introduce you to the president. Oh, yeah. Ed Franklin was at the 84 game. He's old. Nice. Um, God, Ed is just filling the chat line here. Your eight-year-old was right. Dude, you are too <laughs> honest. I love it, but I may be a detriment. Um, 
So. I have been told that I am honest to a fault. I, I don't necessarily believe that's a fault. Maybe in politics. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you after the election. <laughs> this is all good. Um, now, here, here's a, a, a comment I want to bring up. And I think this is an interesting one. Is that uh, historically, the school board, if you kind of go back um, one or two election cycles back, there has been a 3-2 split of the vote. Yep. Um, and then and prior to that, it was a 4-1. Like when Kimberly Beatty was on the board, she was often the one and everyone else was the four. And then when Charles Sellers got on the board, it was like the two of them, Beatty and Sellers were the two and the others were the three. And it created, uh, there was division, literally. Um, There was animosity on the school board. Um, There was mistrust of people on the school board and ultimately frustration. I think that's one of the reasons why I think Kimberly Beatty never ran for a third term. Yeah. Um, so give me a sense of your take on those dynamics on the school board itself. And let's just say you came in um, and you were the one or the two. How would you handle that? You know, I think that it's unique that we have had most of our decisions over the last several years being 5-0. Um, because I think it, the attempt was to give off the perception of unity, uh, to try to heal some of those uh, divisive boards from the past. And in doing so, I think that you then got um, a disingenuous view of what was actually transpiring at the board, is that there was a honest debate taking place, um, a lot of conversations taking place in closed sessions on important uh, discussions. And when those discussions were had and held privately, then moving forward, um, the decision was to vote together. Um, in doing so, then the the level of transparency of what was actually transpiring at the board, and I'm not insinuating that there was any violation of the Brown Act. I, I don't believe that was the case. It mm-hmm. was just once opinions were... Yeah, I've been to enough hearings and council meetings and planning commission meetings and everything else like that, that you can say it's where the vote is going. And you'll see it sometimes at at city councils where they will say, I oppose this and this is why, but, you know, I've got some concerns, uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, And then they listen to the next and they listen to the next and they realize that it's four to four to one and then they make it five to nothing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that that leaves then the voters feeling that they are not being represented and that their voice is not being represented, even if that voice is a losing voice. So it's it's a challenge um, as to how to to make that work. You don't always want to have somebody that is the one lone dissenting voice. Um, You're not going to win friends that way. Right. (laughs) Uh, One of the most important books that I've ever read is, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. Still to this day, it's relevant. And. Maybe more so than ever. But you have to figure out a way to work together um, and, and to uh, make sure that, that as a board, even if you disagree, um, you, you continue to be able to, to function uh, in the correct manner. So I would be happy to be the four to one voice on certain issues. Um, but I think that it's, there's other ways to help bring people over to your side and educate them on, on to why your perspective is important. Um, you know, 
it, it's a challenge. I, I, I really think that's a great question because it's been frustrating for a lot of us parents uh, in the district when we continuously see five zero five zero five zero, and and you kind of go, why aren't you standing up and saying something? Yeah. Well, I think it, it's an integrity thing, right, where yeah. you, you have to represent your values. Um, you have to demonstrate to your constituents what you stand for. Yep. Um, that was a controversy here in the Poway City Council where one of the council members admitted that he would maybe have a dis- disagreement when they were talking you know, privately. Yep. But he would go along with it and show the u- u- unanimous vote, thinking the presentation of unity was healing for the community. Yep. But to your point, other voters felt disenfranchised. Yep. They felt like, well, who's representing us? Yep. And then they felt like that that particular councilman had, didn't have the integrity to stand up for what he believed in. So I think it's great if, you know, on the die, that there can be a respectful debate, yep. a respectful sharing of perspectives, and then a respectful vote, and then you move on to the next issue. Yep. And hopefully that's what can happen. I, I agree, and I think that through, through the COVID period and, and that COVID crisis, you saw a lot of the parents' frustrations increase because they felt nobody was listening to them um, with those 5-0 votes, 5-0, 5-0. And, and there were not those uh, intense debates and discussions taking place publicly. A lot of those conversations were being held uh, in closed sessions and, and um, with legal counsel and so on and so forth. And, and that then allows, you know, voters, as you said, to feel disenfranchised. So it's it's a balance, you know, and I know what this board was trying to do, and I respect that because we had those challenges in the past that it was a very contentious board and it was public. I mean, we had recalls attempted and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, and that's not helpful for the community either. So you've got to kind of find that balance, and I think that being honest to yourself, honest to the voters, and, and being willing to disagree with some of your board members, even if it's publicly – as long as it's respectfully, yeah, must sure. be done. Yeah, it's got to be respectful because you know you got to you got to deal with these people. Yep. And to your point, if you're the if you're the one all the time, you don't make friends. But yeah. a lot of it is about influence, right? And and you know, you got to try to win them over, but sometimes you won't be able to do it. Now, I'm how gosh, we're like at an hour forty seven, <laughs> so we're having a fun time now. We have covered pretty much all my topics. Um, is there anything else that we've missed, that we've left off, that you think is important to share with the voters that are considering you in this election? I think that we've given them an awful lot to uh, to consider here, and I really appreciate the opportunity and time. You know, I think the one thing that, that we can talk about, and, and, and hopefully it came through the entire uh, uh, podcast here, is that... I will be an open, transparent uh, uh, trustee. Um, I will be happy to answer questions. I will happy to to explain why I disagree with you, why I voted in a way that you don't agree. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the, the characteristics of being a Marine officer is that you're willing to stand up for what you think is right and what is right, uh, make tough and difficult decisions and stand by that. Now, that's not to say that I don't learn uh, from mistakes because I do make a lot of mistakes, but I will always be um, willing to participate uh, in a conversation to to educate myself and educate others on, on, on this. So it's been a great chance here to, to talk to some of the, the voters and, and have an open conversation. We need more of this in our, our political discourse. Right on. 
yeah, this is and it's fun. You it know? is, and 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 it gives voters a chance to on one level to learn about you and and to consider you as a potential candidate and they're going to see things they like yeah. and there's going to be a lot of people don't like what you're saying and that's good uh, where they're, you're, they're, they're getting to know you but on another level I think um, a lot of the people in our community are learning yeah. about the issues that we're facing in our community um, how can people get a hold of you? Well they can visit my website mm-hmm. uh, which is www.patrickbatten.com uh, or they can send me an email it is patrick.batten at outlook.com. Okay. Those are the two easiest way to get in touch with me. And the web the website has the uh, email address as well. So we're, you know, the ballots are already in people's hands, right? They are. People are voting now. So on how much campaigning is there left for you to do? There's a lot of campaigning still. Um, it's just at different levels. So we, I was out uh, recording uh, some commercials for social media today. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have different means and methods that, that we'll be uh, uh, using throughout the, the campaign and continue to communicate with voters until that final ballot is, uh, is cast at 8 p.m. on November 8th. Okay. Not that anyone's counting, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at you all. You probably have a countdown clock, Yeah, you know, kind of like the one that people use for public comments at the board meetings where it starts counting down, yeah. you know? So um, I think maybe your family might be relieved when this is they, all over. I, I think that they'll be happy to have a little bit more uh, of me. I, I'll, I'll, I know how many days there are, but I do not have a countdown calendar. Um, and it's kind of surprising because I've had the deployment countdown calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a Excel spreadsheet. And behind that Excel spreadsheet, I put a picture of my family. And it was a clock that would just reveal more and more of it until the seven months, nine months, 12 months, however long the deployment was, until the whole picture of the family was deploy- was was revealed from the deployment. I did not do that for this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that image. Though. That's yeah. cool that you did that. Well, I I know. I, I imagine you're probably meeting so many great people. That's know. been the best part of this. You yeah. know, I, I remember talking to a, um, I, getting out of the Marine Corps, I had a job in sales uh, for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was pretty terrible. wasn't my cup of tea. Um, but I remember talking to the head salesman and, and I asked him, I said, you know, Tim, you're incredible when you talk to people. What's your secret? Um, and he said, you know, I want to know their story. And that's what I've tried to, to do with this campaign when I talk to people uh, as a, you know, a, a candidate is to hear more of their story because it only makes me better as a candidate uh, to be able to understand what is important to them in this district um, and what I can do to help. Right on. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, yeah, because everyone does have a story, right? Absolutely. And you're you're probably getting approached by people that all these different constituencies, different special interest groups, and you're trying to blend all that together and still represent what you are all about. But hey, I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So good luck to you in your campaign. And um, and then maybe when the election's over, we can check back in together. You got to give um, Ed Franklin a contact there. I will. <laughs> Ed, I'll reach out to you and looking forward to it. John, okay. thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. 
go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.